on. So I'm going to read from Mark chapter 2. It's found on page 837 of the Table Bibles. And if you will join me in standing, let's read God's word. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. It is true, and it's given out of his love. You may be seated. And so as I mentioned, we have a special guest preacher with us this morning. Rick Eisenberg is the uh, pastor of church planting at Redemption Parker, which is another Acts 29 church just up the road in Parker, Colorado. And so Rick is going through this, this uh, pastoral residency. He's earning his uh, doctorate of ministry from Denver Seminary currently, and he's praying, he and his wife are praying through what their future has and the potential of planting a church. And so as a former church plant and as a member of the Acts 29 network that is committed to planting churches, we want to do whatever we can to support church plants in our area. Area, which includes getting to know Rick and support him uh, uh, when the time comes and also give him uh, the chance to, to preach God's word to us uh, this morning. So Rick, if you want to come up and, and bring us God's word, we're grateful for you being here this morning. Thank you. Good morning, guys. How are you doing? You said I only had 30 minutes, but I have till 11, so I got like 37 minutes. I got a, I got a chance to get through this. Well, it is an honor to open up God's Word with you guys. Um, you, can, you can turn your Bibles back open to Mark chapter 2. That's where we'll be. We'll jump in in a few minutes here. My wife and I, Holly is, is her name. I'll bring her one of these times, but she, she had a bunch of responsibilities at, at church this morning. But, but we're, we're hopefully going to get into gardening this spring. I'm extremely excited quite frankly, because I need some hobbies. Uh, and, and, and we planted our first tree last spring. It, it wasn't by choice. Our, our HOA made us. But what began as a begrudging task quickly became a family fun activity. Our oldest daughter, Eden, even named our tree Sunny. Now, as I was reading a book recently that was getting me excited to begin gardening this upcoming spring, I heard of a horrible story about a tree in California named Prometheus. Prometheus, a great basin bristlecone pine in the Sierra Nevada mountains of California. Well, a, a scientist whose name was Donald Curry was using a tool that actually allowed him to figure out how old the tree was without destroying the tree. It's pretty cool. The, the, the tool is supposed to drill into the tree and remove a core, and you can count the rings that way. Well, there's a lot of speculation, but ultimately, nobody knows exactly what happened. If you read about it, there's a lot of controversy here. But in the end, Mr. Curry cut down the tree. He killed Prometheus. And it gets sadder than that. Listen to how this author explains what happens next. He says, when he counted the rings, he realized it was 4,000 862 years old. Then with, mu- then, with what must have been a heart-wrenching thud of regret, 
this scientist realized he had just killed not the oldest living organism on Earth, but the oldest known living organism in the universe. Think about that for a moment. You really dropped the ball, Mr. Curry. They're like, yeah, well, let's figure out how old this tree is. Awesome. But ultimately, you got one job, bro. Don't kill the tree. Stick to the mission. The mission to discover and yet preserve the great, and in this case, ancient, outdoors. Stick to the mission. Today, I'll be preaching from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. And as I was spending time in this passage, what became extremely clear to me is the mission of Christ. My busy life consists of many things, many, I believe, good things. But does the mission of my life line up with the mission of Christ? I read a great book recently called Start With Why by Simon Sinek. Ultimately, he just unpacks how important it is for any corporation or individual to know their why, their purpose, their mission. Once you lose your why, how easy it can be to lose your way. So that's my question for you this morning. What is your why? What is the mission statement of your life? I believe we're going to see this morning through a story in the life of Jesus, the clear and rather scandalous mission of Christ. My aim is to show you why Mark added this story into his gospel account. Now, I believe that he wants to persuade us that Jesus' mission is scandalous because his mission is for sinners. And as we follow our Messiah, his mission becomes ours. So if you're not already there, open your Bibles to the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 13. He, Jesus, went out again beside the sea, the Sea of Galilee, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. So the scene is set. It's early in Jesus' ministry, but he's already gained some popularity. He's, He's been preaching that the kingdom of God has come, that they need to repent and to believe in the gospel. His teaching is unique, though. People are astonished. He taught as one who had authority, not what they were used to in the synagogues. He even forgives sins, something only God can do. But this homeless Jewish rabbi is not only teaching and forgiving, he's also physically healing. Up until this point in Mark, he's already cast out a demon, healed Peter's mother-in-law, cleansed a leper, healed a paralytic, and hosted a healing night in Capernaum, where the whole city showed up. Man, if they had a Twitter, Mary's son Jesus would be trending. So as he's out beside the Sea of Galilee, there's a crowd listening to this new teacher. What he's teaching here, we don't know. That's not Mark's point in our passage. What we do know is Jesus... His ministry is gaining momentum. Jesus is becoming quite popular. More and more people are being drawn to him. If this crowd knew one thing, they knew that this rabbi Jesus, who was beginning to call disciples to himself, could do what their doctors were unable to do and spoke with an authority they were not used to. 
The last time Mark tells us Jesus was beside the sea, he, he's calling Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be his disciples, to follow him. And in the middle of their occupation as fishermen, they count the cost, retire early with no pension, and follow Jesus. It seems like Jesus has a thing for making his way into our lives without any warning. Look down at verse 14. He's at it again. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he, Levi, rose and followed him. Jesus has passed by the sea and now he's walked into town. He's back in Capernaum. And at the tax booth, who does he see? Levi, also known as Matthew. Jesus' disciple draft leaves you scratching your head. This is not your typical all-star lineup. This team looks more like the bad news bears. Jesus now adds to his team the one who would have been collecting taxes from merchants and fishermen like Peter and the others in the form of tolls on whatever goods or fish they brought in. When you think tax collector in Israel, don't just think IRS. I mean, April 15th is coming. I'm a procrastinator, right? So I got a lot to do until that day comes. And when I think about the IRS, I, 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 I don't just sit down with a smile on my face. Most of us have zero fondness for the IRS. But we honor God by paying taxes, so we do. But at the same time, there's no deep hatred for IRS workers. Like if I saw an IRS guy at Walmart, although I don't think they wear IRS hoodies, so I'm not exactly sure how I would know he's IRS, but I, I wouldn't be tempted to go knock him out. Not in Israel. These tax collectors like Levi are traitors. They are hated despised, the worst of the worst, corrupt enemies. These ethnic Jews like Levi would betray their own people, including their families, and do what the law forbids, transact business with Gentiles. Working for Herod Antipas in Levi's case, and they would make their profit by the margins between what Rome took and whatever these tax collectors wanted to charge. And they were known for their greed. They would leave their families and ethnic religion for the religion of money, power, possessions. The Mishnah and Talmud, these are the early collections of Jewish oral traditions, lumps them into the same category as thieves and murderers. Once a tax collector, you were expelled from the Jewish place of worship, the synagogue. Unable to judge or witness in court, and if a tax collector even touched your house it would be deemed as unclean, or even worse than unclean. One commentator, James Edwards, says, it may be that contact with Levi was actually more offensive than contact with a leper, since a leper's condition was not chosen, whereas a tax collector's was. So when Jesus walks up to this tax booth, he's walking up to what his culture deemed as the scum of the earth. There's even a chance Peter, James, Andrew, and John knew Levi. So they might have been shaking their heads like, not this guy, Lord. This guy's been ripping us off for years. And what does Jesus say to him? Follow me. Follow me, he says. In our passage, we don't have much of an interaction. We know Levi rose and followed Jesus. But in Luke, we have the same story with a little more detail. 
Luke says that after Levi hears Jesus say, follow me, Luke 5, 28, and leaving everything, he rose and followed Jesus. Leaving everything. This is discipleship 101. Jesus doesn't say, pray a prayer and invite me into your heart. Or, 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 or he doesn't give him a list of spiritual disciplines to do to become a Christian. He says, follow me. This is not a question. Jesus is not giving Levi a suggestion. This is a command. And Levi forsook all. He left everything. I imagine he dropped his pen right there in his notepad and followed his Lord, leaving his career in the rear view mirror. Levi had most likely heard about Jesus. Maybe he even listened to a teaching or two. But when push came to shove, he was presented with two options. Keep his life or embark on a new one. And he chooses the latter. And although this isn't the point of our passage this morning, it's a big theme in the Gospel of Mark. And it is our call every day to leave everything, namely ourselves, and follow Christ. In another place, Jesus says, take up your cross daily and follow me. The Apostle Paul says, I die every day. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, when Christ bids a man, he calls him, come and die. If you're in here this morning and you're not a follower of Christ, maybe you want to be. Maybe you think you just need to clean yourself up a little bit more, then you'll come to him. You're too unclean right now. Jesus approaches Levi, this wicked, impure, unclean tax collector, and says, follow me. And that's what he's saying to you this morning. Follow me. And for us who have been following Christ for years, let's not forget this is not a one-time decision we made way back when. This is our daily command. Follow me. Total allegiance is what our master is after. Let us daily renew our allegiance to follow Christ. This is what it means to be a Christian. This is faith in action. Amen? So let's move to the next scene in our story. After conversion happens for Levi, for Matthew, he throws a banquet, a party in honor of Jesus. Yes, Jesus partied. Look at verse 15. Verse 15. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. So Levi, who hosts this party at his crib, and could you imagine getting your house ready for Jesus to come over? Man, I thought my mom was crazy when anyone came over to our house. Couldn't imagine here as Jesus is coming in 30 minutes. Get the house in order. According to our text, though it's at Levi's house, the host is Jesus. It says they were reclining, or better translation, chilling with Jesus. And who's he parting with? Tax collectors and sinners. This is a phrase that's used all throughout the Gospels. I already explained who the tax collectors were. What about the sinners? These are not folks that every now and again transgress God's law. No, we need to think like the wicked from the book of Psalms, those who have zero regard for God's law, 
those who are eating bacon-wrapped hot dogs with their Gentile friends on the Sabbath during halftime of a soccer game, only to leave there and head to the casino, maybe end the night at the strip club. Jesus is hanging with the hooligans, the rebels, the wicked, the sinners. I mean, all throughout the Gospels, he's being accused of being a friend to tax collectors, sinners, prostitutes. Accusations of gluttony and being a drunkard himself because of his company at these parties. Let's just say Jesus probably ain't getting voted in to be the next Southern Baptist Convention president. But though these tax collectors and sinners have invited Jesus over for a celebration, the theologians stand outside in condemnation for Jesus' actions. Look at verse 16. And the scribes, or scholars, of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now before we just shake our head at at these dumb Pharisees, we need to realize they're actually asking a legitimate question. Jesus, this new religious teacher like them, is doing things in this moment that are unlawful to do according to their shared Bible. There is no New Testament yet, no New Covenant. All they have is the Old Testament scriptures. And if the Pharisees are known for anything, they are known to be scrupulous about obeying the law. They are zealously, they are zealous for keeping God's commands. Ritual and moral impurity are a big deal. And Jesus is rubbing shoulders, sharing drinks, laughs, and a meal with those who are impure. Not okay, Rabbi Jesus. Again, the Pharisees or any zealous Jew realizes that disobedience to God's law is what caused the exiles. God's people displaced from God's land. I mean, read Leviticus. It's all about purity, holiness. This is what it means to be God's people, set apart. Blessings for obedience, curses for disobedience. What Jesus is doing, what is Jesus doing? That's not a question just for the Pharisees. This is a question for anyone taking their Bibles seriously. When something clean in the Old Testament comes into contact With something unclean, the unclean thing wins. You become contaminated. And then by God's grace, there are steps one must take to get back to that place of cleanness or purity. Impurity is extremely contagious. And because God is holy, they likewise must rid themselves of anything impure and be set apart to God. What Jesus is doing is not okay. Well, unless he's not just anybody. Look at verse 17. Jesus' response in the end of our story this morning. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is a climax to our passage this morning. I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. 
When Jesus hears the Pharisees' question, he answers them. He begins with an ancient proverb that everyone would have known. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Everyone inside and outside the party can say amen to that. But then he says, I, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. In light of what the Pharisees see, what Jesus is doing, what they are offended by, Jesus explains himself by explaining his mission. Now, it hasn't happened in a while, but every now and then, when I get to go home to California, and I happen to have a a free Saturday afternoon, um, I make it my aim to go to the Huntington Beach Pier on a Saturday afternoon. I'll try to go down and see Ray Comfort. He's a street evangelist, and he's sharing the gospel on the Huntington Beach Pier. He gets crowds upwards of 100, and before explaining to the crowd the good news of who Jesus is, he wants people to see the bad news, that the well don't need a physician, only the sick. The bad news is that we are sinners, that we are sick, that everybody is. The Huntington Beach Pier on a Saturday can be a pretty diverse place. You got white supremacists, transgender folk, liberals, conservatives, punk rock kids, hip-hop heads, the religious, the anti-religious, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, everything in between, all in one place. The one thing they all have in in common, the one thing all humanity has in common, sin. Every single person is a sinner, sick and and in need of a physician, according to our passage. Before Ray Comfort will tell them what Jesus, the physician, did, he tries to show them that they are sick, that they do need a physician. Some will recognize they are sick, but others will go on living as if they're healthy when they're not. Like the man who has cancer who won't go see a doctor. I'm fine, he says. Jesus is telling these Pharisees and us that those who are well, who think they don't need a physician, are righteous, but they are self-righteous. Those Jesus came for are those who know they are sinners, who know they are sick. Ultimately, Jesus didn't come for the righteous because there are none. Theologian slash rapper, author, poet, wife, mom, and just about everything else, Jackie Hill Perry says, Jesus did not come for perfect people, for if he did he would have only been coming for himself. Jesus' mission is for sinners. I said earlier, what Jesus is doing is not okay, right? Hanging out with sinners, unless he's not just anybody. I don't believe the Pharisees are wrong here in their understanding of Torah. God commands Aaron the priest in Leviticus 10.10, to distinguish between the holy and the common, between the the clean and the unclean, and to teach others to do the same. What they are wrong about is who Jesus is. I came. This is a second person of the Trinity, the Son of God incarnate they are talking to. I came. 
who, who takes on another nature, humanity, and comes to the world he created for a scandalous mission. What these Pharisees miss is that this rabbi Jesus is the Isaiah 7 virgin son Emmanuel. That God is among them and that he has come for sinners. The contagious impurity that we talked about earlier doesn't work on Jesus. He touches a leper, the leper is healed. And when he finds himself in the midst of sinners, he brings life. He is, in the truest sense, the life of the party. Craig Blomberg calls this contagious holiness. He said, Jesus discloses not one instance of fearing contamination, whether moral or ritual, by associating with the wicked or impure. Rather, he believes that his purity can rub off on them. Contagious holiness. And this is why he came. This was Jesus, the Son of God's mission, and still is his mission. To call sinners to follow him. And he's not just partying because the wine is good. Craig Blomberg again says, Jesus regularly associates with the various sorts of sinners on whom the most pious in his culture frowned. But his association is never an end in itself. Implicitly or explicitly, he is calling people to change their ways and follow him as their master. What the Pharisees don't understand is that their beloved scriptures point to Jesus. The Messiah that they themselves are waiting for is in Levi's house. And yes, partying with tax collectors and sinners. Will they join the party? That's the question. And our story doesn't give us the answer. It ends right here. But have you joined the party? Have you joined the party? Do you relate to God based on your performance? Maybe your church attendance or private devotional life? Or do you see yourself as one of Jesus' friends? Remember, he's the friend of sinners. Turn with me real quick to the parable of the Pharisee and tax collector in, in, in the book of Luke. So one book over, Luke 18. Luke 18, beginning in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, Thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, This man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The mercy and grace of God is scandalous. It is humbling. If you are not absolutely humbled by the grace of God in your life, not the grace of God for the Christian with the real jacked up past, No, for you, 
If that doesn't humble you, then you may have more in common with the Pharisee than you think. He didn't come for the self-righteous. He came for the sick. When you understand the gospel, you realize that you are far worse than you ever imagined. Even for those of us who grew up in the church, were homeschooled, never hung out with the wrong kids, never committed the big sins. Maybe you look down on people like Levi, real sinners. But this is who Jesus came for. I hope we can see ourselves in this group. Because when you understand the gospel, you also realize that you are far more loved than you could have ever dreamed of. If you're a sinner, he came for you. From heaven, he came and sought you. Jesus' mission is scandalous because his mission is for sinners. And it's worth noting that this story is told in each of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But as Matthew himself, in the gospel of Matthew, retells the story, he doesn't say Jesus saw a tax collector named Matthew, or Jesus saw Matthew at the tax booth, like it does in the other gospels. He says, Jesus saw a man named Matthew. Jesus saw an image bearer. Yes, broken, but nonetheless, an image bearer. The world had many names for Matthew. But what does Matthew remember about this encounter? This encounter that caused him to forsake everything and follow him? Jesus saw a man. I don't know how you see yourself. I don't know what you think others think about you. But Jesus sees you as a man or a woman made in his image, who he came for. So what's our application? As we follow our Messiah, his mission becomes ours. His mission becomes ours. Going back to that question I asked you earlier, what's your why? What's your life's mission? Is it your career your family, your health, your looks, your investments, your bank account, your home. I came to call sinners, Jesus says. This was his mission and still is his mission. And if we are followers of Christ, this must be at least part of our mission as well, our why. We can be about some good things, but let's not miss the main thing. Let's not cut down the tree. The percentage of church goers who will actually make this their mission and even tell one unbeliever about what Jesus did for sinners this year is embarrassingly small. Some don't even think it's our mission. Barna did a study a couple of years ago and said that almost half, 47% of millennial Christians think evangelism, telling others what Jesus did for sinners, is straight up wrong. And again, before we just make more jokes about millennials, when was the last time you engaged a non-believer with the gospel? Do you make it a priority in life to be around them? This is the mission. Let me repeat, this is the mission of our Savior. And yes, I know someone might be thinking, yeah, but 
evil company corrupts good habits. Yes, amen. But remember what I said earlier about contagious holiness? We can become so insulated as Christians, so afraid of the secularism and contamination of our culture that we straight up retire from our job as Christ followers. Engage in our own comfortable little holy huddles, all the while Jesus from his throne is saying, I came for sinners. After Jesus rose from the grave, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and on the day of Pentecost sent his spirit to indwell his people. A radical shift from old covenant to new. If you're a follower of Christ, Jesus lives in you. The spirit of God connects the people of God to the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, with a mission. Sinners. His heart, his aim, his blood, for sinners. So let's get real practical. How does this actually play itself out in your life? I think ultimately this is person by person. Go, go spend some time in prayer and ask God how he wants to use you for his mission. He'll answer you. But just to get us thinking, where has God placed you? Who are your neighbors? Do you know them? Do they know you? Do they know you're a follower of Christ? Do you seek to spend time with them, know their stories, engage their struggles, care for them, and seek to show them a better way? That could be a good place to start, especially with this weather people are getting outside now. What about your work? Are your coworkers just your coworkers? Or are they a part of your mission field? What about your barista at Starbucks? That's Starbucks. Is she just a barista? Or is she an image bearer? There's so many places for us to get involved in, right? The local gym, book clubs, neighborhood playgrounds, mom's groups, the PTA, your HOA. Or what about your kids' sports teams this upcoming season? You're already out there for so many hours. Don't only root for little Johnny to score a goal that nobody will remember in eternity. Let's be on mission with those families for their eternity. One of my new mission fields in Parker, I think I could say this to another Acts 29 church, um, is the cigar lounge in town. I'm starting to know some of the guys. Now, we haven't talked about much of anything other than sports, but I have a game plan. Christ's mission for sinners. And they pack that place out. What's your why? I hope our mission, friends, lines up with the mission of our Lord, the friend of sinners. The mission of Christ is not just for the professionals. This is our calling as his church. This is why you're being equipped here for the work of ministry. We don't just exist to participate in some worship songs, hear a sermon on Sunday, say, we got fed, pastor, thank you, and go home. We exist for mission. What is your why? Could you imagine what it would look like if we took the mission of Christ seriously? Missio Dei. Wow, I mean, that, that, that can be some exciting stuff right there. 
Every now and then I'll text a, a mentor of mine about sports. I'll, I'll, I'll talk with him about my Dodgers or my Oklahoma Sooners or even my horrible Lakers. And he always gets on me for saying we. He's like, bro, you're not a part of the team. Stop saying we. And he is right, though I won't stop. But you know what we are a part of? We are literally united to Christ. In Christ, through his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, and have been called to advance his kingdom by pursuing what Dr. Doug Logan calls the least, the last, the lamest, and the lost. Jesus is not physically here anymore to accomplish this. We are. And through this union with him, we have his contagious holiness. Let's go infect some people with life. Later in the Gospel of Mark, he gives more detail into his mission. He says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. The sinners he came for, me and you and the rest in this town who don't know it yet, were purchased by his own blood. And one day there will be another party, another feast that this one simply pointed to. And it will be there that his redeemed people from every nation, tribe, and tongue will be praising Jesus that he saved sinners. Until then, let's go out into our neighborhoods and our cities and turn this world upside down for the glory of God and joy of all peoples. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you save sinners, God. Lord, we pray that, that, that we would hear your voice today. Um, hear your voice in following you if we've never done that. Hear your voice in, 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 in the scandalous grace of God if we just need to hear that, which we all do. Lord, and hear your call to be about your people to be about your mission, to be on mission with you, Christ. You came to save sinners, Lord. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. So we're going to go into our, our time of our discussion groups. We'll have a couple questions up there. Um, if you're new, don't feel awkward. Um, there's no wrong answers. And also, if you don't want to say anything, you don't have to. Um, but we'll spend a few minutes just... Going through our questions here, um, the first one, what's your why? What's your why? I've been saying that over and over and over again in this sermon. What's your why? And, and, then, and then second, as we get practical, where or whom can you engage the mission of Christ um, in the months ahead? So we're going to uh, transition toward communion. Thanks, Rick. Yeah. And you'd be happy to know my church in Texas that we used to go to. Every pastor on staff was either a Sooner or a Sooner's fan. So, yeah. One of them even used to ride around on that little wagon. But, uh, yeah, you know, when I heard uh, Rick was going to do uh, the call of Matthew, I, was, I said, oh, I'll quote Bonhoeffer. But he beat me to it. So. But uh, it's clear that uh, the Christian life is an all-in thing. Um, and it's, it's a commitment. 
And it's not just a commitment to to show up. It's a commitment to to um, to be engaged. And so, you know, when Jesus talks about greater righteousness than the Pharisees, it's 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 not that they weren't righteous, but they were just righteous on the outside. And Jesus calls us to be righteous all the way through, to be true and not false. But uh, so, you know, sometimes I pray. And I said, Lord, help me to be all in. And uh, it's kind of scary. But then I realized that God is good. He's merciful and gracious. Uh, slow to anger and quick to forgive. And so um, it's encouraging. So uh, and so it's a serious thing. Com- communion and baptism are not things to be taken lightly. Uh, it's a serious thing. Jesus was beaten and tortured and bled for our sin. But, on the other hand, it's, it's reason to celebrate. So when we do these uh, uh, sacraments of baptism and communion, uh, it's time to celebrate. And, uh, you know, like Rick mentioned, you know, Jesus sat down and they had a party. So we can celebrate. When we do communion, uh, it's a serious thing. Let's not take it lightly. And it's only for people who have trusted in Christ as their Savior. So if you have not trusted in Christ as your Savior... Communion's not for you. But uh, it's not too late to trust in Christ. So if you haven't, uh, now's a good time to talk to somebody, pray with somebody. So we celebrate, we worship. Uh, we can worship uh, by singing, which we'll do shortly. We can worship uh, in prayer and praying with, for yourself or for others or with others. Uh, we'll be back in the corner and if you need prayer. Uh, and we can uh, worship by communion. Uh, and we have the elements and the tables around the room. Uh, and I uh, just want to read this. When we talk about Jesus' shed blood, let it make me more thankful for your mercies, more humble for your correction, more zealous in your service, more watchful against temptation, more contented in my circumstances, and more useful to others. So um, so let's celebrate, and uh, let's celebrate. It's, I think of celebrating as a hard-earned celebration, not just an easy celebration, but it's a celebration. So uh, let me pray, and then we'll do communion. Lord, our Father, just thank you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us, and Lord, help us to, to love others, and um, help us to love you. In Jesus' name.